Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Good morning and welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a lovely Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, We're going to continue sharing some of our Uh, conversations from a conference we just had. We had a Healing Life's Hurts Through Understanding Forgiveness conference uh, running four weeks long on Thursday nights for four hours. (laughs) It was a marathon, but content was so good. Um, But I'm trying to give you some of the highlights, and uh, then we're going to jump into uh, some other wonderful topics. I've got a, um, a conversation about prayer. Um, with Richard Murray sitting in the wings, ready to be shared. So that's coming soon. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff burning in our hearts that we want to uh, have conversations about. And we'd love to hear from you too. So don't forget to send an email or message me on Facebook if you have a theme or topic that uh, is of interest. And if it fits how we're doing and what we're talking about, we'll slide it in or put it on the back burner until we're ready to have that discussion. Um we're all still really growing in grace. None of us have arrived. And that's that's why I call this program Still Growing in Grace. Because I want to inspire joy. We need more of it. I want to give hope. And this, I do the same thing with my church. It's called Hope Fellowship. And of course, Delighting in Grace. I want to have a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and that's that's kind of how I roll. And you know, uh, and it's been fun. So let's let's get into Brad Jerzak's part two. If you missed last week's conversation, uh, the link to part one of the two is down below in the uh, description. But today, let's dive into this. Uh, we're going to be talking about what forgiveness is and isn't and how it relates to reconciliation. I think this is a really important conversation and uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. So it runs about 40 minutes. So you can set your clocks and you know roughly how long this conversation will be and we'll see you back at the end, I'm watching it with you live uh, as I'm sharing it with you. So I'm I'm right here watching and listening, and um, I'll be looking at the comments. Hello, Karina, how are you? Thanks for saying hello, and uh, let's let's just dive in because this is going to be good. Here we go. All right, our previous conversation was very exciting, but it's time to switch gears. And uh, you had uh, shared something with me that you have learned something from the 12-step recovery program. Not everybody's in favor of it. Some people see it in a positive way. Some see it in a negative. But there's value to learn from. I would love to just, you know, pull your thoughts on all this and let you just dive right into this. Sure. Um, so the first thing to say is, like, when we talk about 12-step recovery, that, that would include folks like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, Sex and on, sex addicts anonymous, overeaters anonymous. It's these. It's a, it's a a process or a a pattern of of working through our issues, um, and specifically how we use addictive behavior to medicate our pain. That's the point. Your problem is never alcohol, drugs, or sex. Your problem is whatever you're using those to medicate. Then, and as long, and, and the idea is as long as you're trying to overcome them through willpower, you are, you're, you're going to experience the fact that you are powerless over these addictions. 
but you're not off the hook. You are responsible for your recovery. Well, how do you do that if you're powerless? You do that by surrendering your life and will to the care of a loving God. That's mm. the whole thing. That's the bottom line. Surrender, and it's and and it's a surrender to God's care, not to His control. It, it is, and then the question is, um, what do I need to surrender, and how do I do that? And so, um, recovery groups meet to look at. Essentially, what is the what are the what is the brokenness that is driving their addictive behaviors? Um, so that's that's going to include a, a few processes that I think are deeply Christian. In fact, think of it this way: um, little history that's worth hearing. So John Wesley ends up has this encounter with Christ back in the day. It is inexplicable. It comes upon him. He experiences the grace of God and it just floods him with liquid love. And then it gets into his heart that he's like, I wonder if this has to be random. I wonder if we could have faith practices that orient us for that experience to the the experience of grace that cleanses us of our shame and frees us from our fetters, right? Mm-hmm. So, so out of this, that's what the word, where the word Methodism comes from. Mm. He develops a method that some have mistaken for works righteousness, all these steps you need to take to be perfect or something, and that, that certain groups that came out of Wesleyan traditions really did go down that road. They're just legalistic. That's not the heart of it. The heart of it was about orienting ourselves to grace rather than hiding from it. When you get to 12-step recovery, what the, what the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous um, wondered is, does, is, is God only like this for Christians? Or could anybody find freedom? By orienting themselves, reorienting themselves toward the love of God. And, and certainly um, Wesley would have approved of this because he encountered First Nations people, the, the in, indigenous and Inuit people in his missionary travels, where he's like, I'm going to go tell them about Christ. But here's the weird thing. They already knew God. They were already praying. They were already experiencing and loving God. They were, and, and so... So apparently you can experience the grace of God outside prior to Christian baptism. <laughs> now he would still tell them about that, about their, uh, about Christ. Cause he wanted them to know the full inheritance of, of this grace. And he wanted them to have complete assurance of it, but he's not saying you have to become a Christian to know God. He's like, no, they already do. Hmm. So 12 step recovery comes along and it says, what if, so Wesley, what if Wesley's right on two fronts? One is we can deliberately orient ourselves toward healing and grace and freedom. And two, that you don't have to be a Christian to do it. And so what they, what they end up doing is it's sort of Methodism anonymous, where they realize that they're like, even if you have a screwed up idea of God, the slightest turn, even towards that, the true God will come to you. 
That's why they talk about a higher power or the God of your understanding. They're not saying, but doesn't matter what you believe. Um, Well, it kind of does, but, but it sure doesn't stop God from. But the only people that object to that are hyper-religious legalists. Yeah. That's the only people that would object. Yeah. And some of them have have kind of like it. So they're going to Christianize it. Here's the weird thing though. In Christianizing it, so many of the 12 step recovery groups that, that go under the Christian label introduce unchristlike concepts of God that weren't in the in the broader movement. Like they reintroduce shame and reintroduce retribution and reintroduce conditions. And it's like you've made it less Christian by trying to make it Christian. Just leave it alone. Yeah. God's doing a good work here. So um I, I so, so that's the, the logic behind it is we're going through these steps that orient us toward grace rather than hiding from it in our shame. These steps will include honestly looking at our story. So um, step four and five of the program is about, I, I'm going to write my story down and all my secrets, all my sins, all my screw ups, all my traumas, just like you name it, not just stuff I did wrong or stuff connected to the addictions, but, but all of the wounds that led me there. And, and, and then having been brutally honest, I'm going to share that with another, with God in the presence of another person. And that other person will be a sponsor usually. And that sponsor will embody the non-judgmental listening uh, uh, of, of grace so that the fact that they won't flinch when I tell them my story. That's a lot is, of risk. Is healing itself, right? And the traditions of, of AA and NA and so on um, ensure that this is absolutely confidential in a way that your accountability partner never can. <laughs> Usually it's people who've been further down the road than you and they've experienced this grace themselves so they can gift it forward to you. Sometimes they're way worse than you. Like, it's kind of funny when you think you're going to shock somebody with a porn addiction, for example, but they've already had five marriages because that ended in affairs. They're like, you're going to shock me with your porn. (laughs) Come on. So, so they're like, okay, that would be an example where a sponsor listens in a non-judgmental way, embodying the grace of God. The next step, then the next steps, then uh, we're going to, we move from just, um, into asking God to free us from, from the exact nature of our wrongs. Let's say that would be what's under all of this selfishness, pride, anger, fear, 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 fear. That's usually the bottom of the whole thing. Right. And so we're asking God to relieve of us of this because it creates the obsessions we have. All of that gets us to the, the next steps making amends. And this is where I wanted to just chat a little bit about the difference between asking for forgiveness and making amends. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 12, in 12 step recovery, they have noticed something that somewhere along the line. And if you go online and you find like websites on how to make amends and they include the language of asking for forgiveness, they they've missed the boat. They've departed from the tradition. The tradition discovered this. Let's say you've harmed somebody brutally, but let's say, um, 
I'll pick an example, a friend of mine who is a sexual predator, who is in recovery, not only done the repentance work, but went through the jail time. I mean, he's, we could say he's done his time. He's paid his debt to society. Well, guess what? He's still not okay. So he's working the program. Also, his victims aren't okay. They're not healed yet. They don't, they're, they're no, they won't forgive him yet. They can't see him yet. Definitely reconciliation is a problem, right? So, so then the question is uh, around amends versus act, asking for forgiveness. Is it fair for me to go to somebody, let's say if I damaged them 10 or 20 years ago, and they've been living with that deep wound all this time, wondering if I'd ever repent. And certainly, let's say they've not worked any program of healing themselves. So there's still this big open hole of trauma. Now I'm going to go to them and say, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? That's like a blind side. Oh, my goodness. You are, you're trying to extract more from them? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Why do you want me to forgive you? So you'll feel better about what you did to me? How can they do, you know, so, so I would say uh, uh, making amends can really, can really blow up in your face, face, if you're now going and you've already harmed this person. And now you want, you, you don't think that you'll feel better until you've squeezed forgiveness out of them. <laughs> that, <laughs> suddenly you realize this is, this is, this is super dangerous. <laughs> it's funny um, how, when you word it like that, so simply how ridiculous it sounds. It is. Now, sometimes it's not when I'm making a formal amends, but sometimes I, I, I have, I have said, you know, here's the things I've done. I have asked God to forgive me. And I know I can't expect that of you, uh, but I have experienced mercy. And uh, if you're able, I'm asking you for mercy. Mm. That still may be over the line. Well, it, uh, but, but I've had some good experiences of that where the I'm word, put, the wording's nicer. Like it's more tender. Well, and I'm putting myself at their mercy Yeah. instead of trying to pull something out of them. And somehow um, what I've seen is somehow that does, that does enable them to, if, if I've been super honest and they, they've seen the harm I've done and they know I've seen it and, and I have nothing to stand on to demand of them or extract from them. And so I, I, I'm at your mercy. And sometimes that will ignite just a little bit of mercy in them, which then they begin to experience blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. They will experience mercy. They will obtain mercy. Um, and, or they'll either obtain it for themselves or for me. But, but now I want to be a purist about this. When we make amends in the 12 step recovery there, because we're so aware of that, um, um, how do we do it? And I, I just, and why do we do it? And I was thinking about Zacchaeus and how he makes amends <clears throat> to those that he's exploited and extorted, to whom he's a real enemy and a problem. Um, 
So the, I'm going to pull it up on my screen here. The story of, it says Jesus entered, this is Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. Behold, a man named Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So, and he was rich and was on their backs. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. He was unable to, to do to the crowd because he was short in stature. So he climbed a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. By the way, he just wants to see him. That's the whole thing. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Heard and came down, receiving him, rejoicing. And when the people saw this, they began to complain. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'm giving back four times as much. Jesus said, today salvation has come to your house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save what was lost. And so I think the first thing that I see there is that prior to even his repentance, somehow he experiences the grace of God. And what comes out of him is a response to that. It's the it's the natural overflow of his encounter with Jesus. And the natural overflow isn't just to get up and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he is he's a willing participant in his own freedom and his own salvation as he's prompted, I think, by the Holy Spirit to make amends. So, so in 12-step recovery, what, making amends, um, it, it refers to personally addressing issues with people that we've harmed by our behavior or treatment of them. And we do it directly unless it's unsafe to do so for them or for you. And so, you know, we've got Zacchaeus. He's done great harm to his community. He's been complicit with Rome. Um, but more than that, he's extorting for his own riches. And, and, and like... He, he knows his alienation from his family, from his community, from the synagogue. He knows he doesn't belong and that he's hated. And then, so Jesus' over fear, over, overture of friendship, it's just like so alarming and scandalous to them. And, um, but, but I, I just remember Romans 2. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And repentance there is not, it's not just self-loathing. It's not just changing your mind, but it's like reorienting your whole life to, toward this mercy and it's gifting a significant it. pivoting. It, that's a great word, pivoting. I've pivoted. And, and in, in Zacchaeus's case, his amends were, were substantial. And um, so what he does is he makes this assessment. He, asse he, he assesses his wealth in relation to the poverty that he was complicit in creating. Mm. And he decides to make amends to his community by giving half his possessions to the poor. Hello. <laughs> um, and and it, it reminds me of an addict I, I, I know who used to have a habit of stealing from the church when she would, and she would volunteer there to pilfer money for her alcohol. <laughs> and, um, and she, she, she realized, I need to make amends to the church. But how do you do that? Like, she didn't have the money. And she couldn't 
repay the individual donors, but what, but she wanted to participate in her grace transformation. This is so important. We participate in grace by living our amends. Mm-hmm. So she did worked out a plan where she went and confessed what had happened. She asked the priest, uh, how could you see me making amends? And, and they, uh, they decided together on the kind of a, a restitution through service. Um, so that's what he's doing here. He's, Zacchaeus is living his amends. And then, and then he identified specific people that he extorted. And he didn't just say, sorry, folks, I really messed up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've cleared it up with Jesus and I'm forgiven. So we're all good now, right? You know, he doesn't do that. He figures out who he's extorted. And then he pays them back with 400% interest. Like, what, why so much? I, and I, I was thinking about this, and I, I can think of a couple reasons. One is that he can see, let's say, let's say he's taken $10,000 from somebody, but he realizes the harm he's caused exceeds the cash he's taken. Like the cost of his sin to those he robbed actually was had compounding interest. So like they didn't just lose that money. They lost potential income. They lost time. They lost, they had additional hardships. They had emotional impact. So that's why reparations um, need to address the toll, the toll that's been taken on a person and their family. We take that into account. And um and rarely do we do outside, that outside of a civil lawsuit. Um, but he did it without being sued. And like, so again, why? Why? And I think that's the, there's the second reason for his generosity. Um, because the law may demand proportional amounts. Eye for an eye, right? Dollar for dollar. But what does grace motivate in us? And grace motivates not just paying back the harm we've done. It's paying forward the mercy we've received. And so in Zacchaeus has this calculus of the mercy he's just been received through friendship with Christ, who's treated him as someone who belongs, even a, this is a son of Abraham. By saying he's a son of Abraham, he's, Jesus is extending him back to his people, back to his community, back to his synagogue, back to his faith. And he goes, the 400% is, is a measurement of the mercies he received. So I'll pause there. I, I do want to go into three things amends demonstrate, but let's pause there because I just went off for a long time. I want to check in with you. No, the to, to see the story of Zacchaeus like that and and how would he come up with the amounts, you know, that sounds like grace. And yet I look today at people who say, oh, I found grace. I'm now a grace person. And it's like, um, are you sure? Because I see zero generosity of any kind towards anything or anyone. Mm. And uh, it's, it's like there shouldn't be a law to be generous. It, it should be written on the tablets of your heart and not just generous financially. We're talking generous with love, kindness, forgiveness, with uh, just being good, you know, not even Christian-y, but just a good human. Yeah. Know? There's a version of grace that's hostile to that. I found like where even a response is treated as works righteousness. It's like, no, it's a, it's a loving response mm-hmm. to the... Uh, or that like, well, it's all grace. So you don't participate at all, or you don't believe in grace. It's like, no, no, you're amends. Is your participation part of it in the healing that you could never 
yes, 100% of the pie came from Jesus, but you have to eat the pie. So they move from <laughs> one small box of their beliefs to a little bit bigger box that it's, still yeah. has to be blasted open, right? Yeah. It's like when I first came to I, knowing my identity in Christ, I felt like I was, you know, like, oh, wow, I've, I've hit the mother load here. This is like, I can, I can do this the rest of my life. But then I found an even greater grace. It was like peeling back a curtain and seeing the universe and the stars going, how am I ever going to explain this? And yeah. That's where I live right now. <laughs> and you can't unsee it. Yeah. No. But then like for you to participate now doesn't strike you as works righteousness, no does it? It's, no. it's more like enjoying the banquet. Yeah. And <laughs> sitting beside someone at the banquet who can't see everything I can see yet and just befriend them and recognize I don't have to tell them they're wrong in their dogma. I don't have to tell them the steps they got to take. That's between them and their heavenly father. Yep. But just be a friend. Yeah. In including, you know, my wife would say that when she prays Psalm 23 and she reads, he's set, prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's <laughs> not so that I can gloat at my enemies while I'm having dinner. It's that we're sharing a meal. Mm. This is great. Grace actually kind of generates the, the uh, hospitality to the other in that same sense. So I'd say here's some three principles of, of making amends. Rather, So again, like be very, very, very slow to ask for forgiveness from people. Let, let them offer it as a gift of grace, a gift of mercy. That's for them to, forgiveness is always a gift. Don't ask someone you've hurt for a gift. Because <laughs> um, they're going to be forced into an obligatory yes and never mean it. Absolutely. And so instead, um, we give, we make, uh, we offer an amends. So the first thing is it demonstrates that we actually have owned what we've done. No blaming, no sidestepping, no explanation of, well, here's what I was going through at the time. When, um, I get it. We have re reasons why we did things. Um, but when you share the reasons, like I was really in burnout. So I, 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 I didn't act like I should. Okay. What have I just done? Excused uh, it away. Yeah at least it comes across as an excuse or a justification. Yeah. And so I love it. Zacchaeus, he just names his, he names his sin extortion. Not, I was just doing my job. I was just obeying orders. I was doing what the Romans told me to do. It's like, no, I did this and I did it to you. And that was wrong. Period. It's like strictly about cleaning up my side of the street. Even if we think there's actually mutual harm. Yeah. So when, if, 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 uh, if Eden and I get in a row, it's not my job to say, well, you know, both of us were to blame. So let's, it's like, no, uh, here's what I did. And that, that doesn't was go wrong. Over well, does it? <laughs> it escalates. Right. Um, and, and it might free her or it might not free her to, to see her part. Not my problem. My problem is my side of the road. So I need to own what I've done mm -hmm. and not, you know, no blaming. My wife um, calls that staying in your own lane. Ah, uh, yeah, very good. Exactly. Uh, second, it demonstrates that we recognize the harm we caused. So not just the harm I've done, but how it's impacted them. So it's mm -hmm. like we, we're, we're listening to them give their victim impact statement Yeah. to, to ask, how did this affect you? This is very painful to go through. It's hell. It's hellish. It's a purgatory. 
it's it's but it's a cleansing fire it's a refiner's fire to, to when we listen to those we harmed and we hear what they experienced and you know maybe zacchaeus knew that he extorted someone and impacted their financial stability but but you know what he might need to hear how his actions also humiliated them um how the how, how what he did caused extended hardship to their family and how it introduced fear and hatred into their hearts so for example one of the women that i um that i heard at Lytton, who was describing the abuse she went through at the residential schools there um she said <laughs> um that she could she had she was able to forgive the ways that she had been abused even like physical beatings and sexual abuse and actually because that was external to her and because of her innocence somehow the lord protected her from a sense of defilement that made her bad mm. that's which is rare actually um but she said but but they were starving us to death too and i went in and i stole a carrot they made me a thief well wow. and so so actually that became more traumatic to her than the other stuff it was very strange to hear but i i i'm getting it it's like the one who puts in this little one a cause to stumble this ugly deposit that what not of their doing so we need to recognize the harm we've caused and then finally um what we just to reiterate it's not about extracting forgiveness from the other so we feel better or massaging my guilt mm -hmm. or i'm gonna go do my amends so i feel free now it's like you know what those those we hurt maybe years away from healing even if we're well into it ourselves yep, and they, they may never release us um the trust may be so broken that they don't want to be to be restored and so I think it needs to be unilateral in that sense it, it, and and that it's not contingent on their response it's that my amends aren't contingent on their forgiveness and not contingent on our reconciliation mm -hmm. um but but maybe we can hope that you know that 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 our our amends will be a gift instead of like a method of manipulation which i i really have to work at because i'm um, when I do a step five, I'll write down all the ways that I've been manipulative. Yep. There's a, quite a few. And then my sponsor will say, well, you got about half of them. So I, I need to be really alert to how making amends can be just another act of, of manipulation. Um, I'll just finish up by, with the whole, you know, again, with Zacchaeus he lived as amends sometimes you can't make amends to a person but you can live them like you yeah. maybe it's not safe to contact them yeah. or maybe they don't yeah they don't want to be contacted maybe they're an anonymous person you don't know so so go live your amends how will you live your life in a way that 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 um that you're contributing to wholeness in this world rather than dismantling it Hmm. That's incredible. I love this amends attitude, living in the attitude of amends, right? It's, it's a, a humility that 
is lived out probably the rest of your life because it'll flow into everything we do and who we are. Yeah. Can I just ask you a question? I, as, as someone who has a very, uh, quite a, I would say a profound grasp of, of grace. Um, how, how would a, how can a grace teacher talk about amends to folks who are allergic (laughs) or paranoid that, Oh, he's, he's losing the plot. He's putting it back on us again. It's not grace alone anymore. Mike's, you know, do you have a, yeah. How do you answer I, that? Well, my immediate reaction is the teacher is not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. So if you're hearing that, that person may not be saying it. You might be hearing it that way. So you need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what is the intent of what's being said. Why am I, why is my wall going up? Why is the hair in the back of my neck bristling at this? What is it in me that is reacting like this? Yeah. yeah. Very, very different. What because, is Mike triggering that needs to be healed? Oh my goodness. Do you know how many people say, I can't believe you said that. And I get an email here and there. And it's like, that's not at all what I meant. You know, you don't know me. Yeah. If yeah you knew yeah. me like this, this is where a congregation setting or a house church or a small group setting of intimacy and knowing one another, when that's shared, I can do that in the context of my local church and everybody sitting there or listening knows because they have gotten to know each other. Somebody yeah. watching online from Oregon or California or Brazil. What? How can you say that? And it's like, they get all bent out of shape. It's like, <laughs> don't do that. Don't yeah, project yeah. your judgment on me when you know nothing about me. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what it is about you that mm-hmm. makes well, you makes that defensive reaction, right? So. I, I am thrilled that you dealt with restoration um, because in the, in the other conference that I've taught on forgiveness, it, again, it's called Healing Life's Hurts uh, Through Understanding Forgiveness. I dealt with the definitions of forgiveness, the, the vertical forgiveness portion, but the conference is about the horizontal forgiveness between us. Um, what forgiveness is not was the most important part of it. I got 18 things that I really put a microscope on of what forgiveness is not. And as you unlearn those, you realize, oh my goodness, I've misunderstood this. And I saved the best for the last, which was the restoration. Because somehow, and I still don't know where it's from. It might be from the end of the Lord's Prayer where people are feeling this, you must, you ought to, otherwise you're, you're in trouble. Uh, it'd be interesting to find out where that religious need to ask for forgiveness, otherwise you won't be forgiven mindset comes from. I don't know, but uh, <clears throat> I felt this was, this is so, you just added a different wording in a lens that I couldn't come up with at all. It's like, okay, yet there's another menu item on this list. To me, having these conversations gives so much more hope for the person struggling with the topic of forgiveness, forgiving someone else or wanting to be forgiven. They need to learn to just rest and quit trying to help God out. He doesn't need your help that's a big deal. So I don't know. Well, we have a 12 step meeting for that too. Uh, what's that called? Codependent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I, if there's anything else you want to add to this, that's great. Um, you almost got something brewing there. I can see in your face. I, I almost do. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I think. Okay. Let me ask you one other question then. This I've been asking the other uh, participants this as well. 
besides this misunderstanding of restoration, what's another obvious misunderstanding about forgiveness that you've come across that might be helpful just to, just to dab on real quick to, to end this with? Misunderstandings of forgiveness. Um, you know, I think it would help us when we, you are right that the passage that makes forgiveness conditional from the mouth of Jesus, who some grace teachers actually condemn as religious, by the way, <laughs> um, comes right after Lord's Prayer. And, and he, he's just like, if, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. How, how will your heavenly father forgive you? And it's connected with, with the Aramaic sense of the prayer. Um, I think it might be helpful, and this works with reconciliation too, that I hate the words objective and subjective. There must be better words for it, but there is a, there is a sense in which I was already forgiven at the cross objectively. Yep. See, there's term. a reason for a thesaurus. There's value to each of those words yeah, for somebody yeah. else. Well, we've been trying to shift to ontological and existential, but that's not helping either. So, but the idea is here's a truth that on the cross, when the when Jesus prays to his father, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. The father's response comes through Jesus' own mouth. Mm -hmm. It is accomplished. So that Romans 5 can say that it's when you were still enemies mm. that Christ settled this at the, so when when were you forgiven at the cross then what is this language about if you don't forgive you won't be forgiven or father forgive me so what what's going on now is some of my grace friends won't even pray the lord's prayer anymore yeah cuz i shouldn't have to ask forgiveness he's already forgiven me i believe in the finished work it's like this is an existential statement. In other words, this is about your experience. God can forgive you from the cross, but will you experience that forgiveness as liberating you from guilt and shame when you're withholding that from someone else? Yeah. And it's just, it's not that God's withholding. That's they, why they are make is so much more beautiful. Like if you don't do this and, and let go of those chains, God's not doing it for you. It's a work you must do if you want to experience freedom now. Experience. Yeah. So, so to experience the freedom that is already yours, to experience yep. the forgiveness that is already yours, to experience the reconciliation that is already yours when you were enemies, we now, we now step in. You've got to step into it. And you step into that experience in this real world as we experience God's presence in communion with other people. So while it's true in the cosmos to experience it here in the present, while it's true in the cosmos, it needs to be true and experienced in right. the now. So I can preach. God has already completely forgiven you. It is finished. And it's like, and, and at the same time, I'm suffering. My digestive system is all in a, a twirl because, because I, have cut myself off from the experience through my through through the walls of unforgiveness and resentment that I've put up. So to be free of that, um, I I did ask. I went to see Jim Forrest, who's the head of the Orthodox Peace Fellowship. Just how do you love your enemies? And he's like, just just pray mercy on them every day by name. And but he said before you do that, uh, pray for those you've harmed first. So I made a list of the people I've harmed, and I just 
like okay so for this person lord have mercy on them and oh actually have you know for the harm i caused lord have mercy also on their family because it extended to them and then i'll go to the next lord have mercy on them lord have mercy and so i did this and then i realized the list of those who have harmed me was shorter so i don't have any foundation <laughs> for, for, for like for unforgiveness so then i just start lord have mercy on this person that's a hater this person who has offended me this person who affected my family lord have mercy lord have mercy and um and and as as that again it's so i'm i'm bringing them to jesus and leaving them with him and i can just do that in a word in a phrase lord have mercy but do you know what you're doing you're actually taking your eyes off yourself yeah you're i'm really seeing problem yeah it, it yeah it's other centered that's agape yeah. And it took a while, but I, then I, I, I started realizing some of the, some of the obsession around resentment just started mm. to lift. Wow. Wow. I don't resent them anymore. Still don't like them, but <laughs> I really eventually left them with Jesus and I'm okay that he's going to show them the same mercy I want for me. Lord, show me, show that don't you, he won't use a hammer on them and a feather on you. Show them the same mercy that I want for myself. I had a, a super short story. Uh, I was a youth leader in a church, uh, really young. And uh, um, the pastor really, he, he didn't like me. He hurt my family. He just, he was really mean. And it was, it came out later that he was jealous, but he hurt it such with such depth that uh, I'd still process through my forgiveness stuff. And it was a couple of years later, I bumped into him and his family in a shopping mall. And my first reaction was, <gasps> And it called out his name. Like, like it was in that instant, there was an acknowledgement that God had already been doing some work in me. I wasn't angry. There wasn't bitterness. That was the first thought, right? Because what am I going to do when I see them next? It's always a wonder, right? But that was, the, that, that was the first time I experienced an instant, unprepared, um, one-way openness. That, Grace. Wow. Yeah. It was really cool. But you can't plan that stuff. It was really neat. Nope. That's awesome. <laughs> Yikes. All right. We got to wrap this up. It is, it is time to run, but um, this has been very helpful. And uh, I hope that any, everybody that watches this and listens into this uh, will find some depth. First of all, hope there is hope to process this. You're not alone. Somebody else has gone before us. We can learn from others. Let's listen to each other too. And I think that's really cool. So thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Wow, that was incredible. Um, I've, I've watched some of the comments uh, that were popping in there. And yeah, I hope you're getting a lot out of this conversation. If you did not see part one, which you need to, the link is below. Um, go watch that one. It's a 50-minute it's a one, um, I think, and really, really good. I love how Brad brought up, and you go back and re-listen to it. I'm going to have to. Um, the step of seeking forgiveness from the one you've heard asking and how he reframed it so you don't set up the victim for more hurt because the idea of going and asking for, for forgiveness. So just so we feel better, you know, make ourselves feel good. Um, that was really cool because the way he worded, I had not heard it quite like that, but now you put yourself in the, in the um, shoes of the, of a victim and go, wow, to, to demand yet even more. This requires humility. 
And oh my goodness, maybe isn't that the Christ life? A walk of humility? A walk of tenderness? Not demanding? Not saying, I have a right to be forgiven. I have a right for this, blah, blah, blah. Right now in our culture, in our world, there is a very sick, distorted sense of rights. Uh, where It's happening here in Canada in a very big way. And uh, I'll just say this, and I'm not going to talk about sides as far as this goes, but I'm going to scream from the presence of Christ in me, we've given up our rights. Oh, did I say that out loud? We have given up our rights. And uh, that includes this forgiveness journey, our, the right to control the outcome. The right to control the outcome, we've given that up as well. Um, I was thinking of Rainy Childress. I don't know if you're watching today, Rainy, or not, but uh, as Brad was talking and talking through the 12 steps, uh, I would love to hear how some of the content in the conference um, would affect your family of people you're working on healing with. Um, because there's some pretty deep meat and potatoes. Not everything's for them, but the 12-step the thing, uh, there's more to it in the idea of experience. The less judgmental we become, the more like Jesus we look. And so I don't want to become a gracialist. You know what that is? It's like grace people call people in the church legalists. We're just flinging mud back and forth. You know, oh, they're such a legalist. Uh, good morning, Rebecca. So good to see you this morning. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, you know, when I discovered grace and identity, one of my reactions was, to call the church a legalistic place, so legalism. But then as I dug into deeper and wider, more grace, like a, an, an even more profound depth, I began to see what I looked like as a grace person. And I was very gracialistic, as in, you must use the right terminology. You must believe as I do. Nope, nope, nope. You have to say it like this and believe it like this. This diagram says how we're supposed to believe. And the charts, then from all the teachers, it has to be this way. And we, we cling to another system. And that is not grace. That's trying to control it. Take a grip off all this stuff. And that includes trying to understand forgiveness. I've not figured it all out, but I promise you, this conference that we just had opened my eyes and probably, I think, uh, a solidification of some pretty important truths happened. Some new stuff was introduced too. It was good. If you want access to that material, let me know. Um, just message me privately and uh, we can make that available. I, I usually, uh, each person that joined the conference, they just made a small donation or large, and I just gave them the access. If it was $1, or if it was one person, give a dollar. Um, five bucks, 100 bucks, whatever. Um, and if you can't afford it, I'll give it to you. I, I don't care. Uh, the content's critical. So, um, yeah, any, anything that does come in supports doing this program all the time and, and uh, uh, just sharing and spreading grace across this country and across the world. Um, let me just jump back into a couple comments because there, there was a couple good, one there, good ones there. Uh, Anna. Hey, good morning, Anna. So good to see you. Um, she says, sometimes we got, we get so stuck on knowing God that we don't know the divine creator in our lives. That was at the beginning of the conversation uh, with Brad. When we insist our small G God is the God, we turn our backs away from the divine creator. That's so true. Yep. More common that sin 
then some realize it varies in expression. I forget what that was related to. Um, forgiving oneself, uh, Marco was talking about. Conviction of spirit or accountability, letting go. So, a comment about accountability. Something I've learned and taught on, uh, and I'm not done teaching on it because <coughs> it's going to be a constant theme, the idea of conviction. Um, conviction, the Holy Spirit. Uh, okay, let me tell you this story. This, will, this is a better lead-in. Just so you know, I'm not making this up. Um, one Sunday morning, uh, probably 10 years ago, uh, I, I went to my congregation and I, I, just before the sermon ended, I said, guys, for the next week, I want you to look up and find out what does the Holy Spirit convict us of? Don't answer right now. I don't want to hear any answers. And I only want to hear from those who research. I don't want your opinions. Because we have locked in opinions because the first answer people are going to say is, oh, he convicts us of sin. That was kind of my point. He doesn't. She doesn't. So um, one of my more astute um, studiers um, came back the next Sunday with a big silly grin. And so when I spoke on or asked, so what did you find out? What does the Holy Spirit convict us of? And so this gentleman named Jim um, smiled and he shared a beautiful, deeper dive understanding of the text of what the Holy Spirit convicts us of. Because uh, some people will read that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our righteousness. And then the world, what does he convict the world of? Oh my goodness, their need. He doesn't even convict the world of sin. Oh my goodness. And if you think I'm making this up, go do a deep dive yourself. Um, maybe I'll have a conversation with uh, Bill Thrasher and Richard Murray on this one because um, honestly, uh, the Holy Spirit will convict you of your righteousness so much so that the sin, misunderstanding, misalignment, it becomes so obvious. You go, oh, 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 that's not who I am. It's a more beautiful lens. And for the world, he doesn't pound them saying, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. There's none of that. Like, it's just not there. And suddenly, the kindness and gentleness, as Brad said, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. From some of the rhetoric I'm seeing in believers this last month, two months, there is zero kindness that will lead anyone to repentance. All I see is vitriol. I see um, uh, shaming. I see I'm more right than you are. I have had to bite my tongue, and I still do because I'm still learning. But if you don't know how to respond in a loving way, then shut up. That's it. That's the Holy Spirit's conviction. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, man, oh, man. All right, keep going here. Um, yeah, Karina says many passages are taken out of context. Absolutely. In fact, Karina, if you go back to my um, original forgiveness conference, um, I go through what forgiveness is not and walk through some of those misconceptions in a very intense way. It's a 13-week series. Um, message me on Facebook, private message me, and I'll send you the link uh, if you can't find it. Um, Rebecca, Rebecca's my, my niece. It's so good. If you're still watching, I hope you're doing okay. Uh, I miss you and your family. It's been a long time. Um, and yeah, sin, righteousness, and judgment. That was uh, the conviction stuff that I was talking about. Um, I've had God warn me of consequences before. Consequences is different. Oh my goodness. Consequences is different. All right. Then, um, uh, um, making you feel like crap because of something you did wrong. 
God warns us of consequences. If you look at the commands in the New Testament, they're not laws. Remember, the Old Testament is filled with laws. Not only the Ten Commandments are laws, but all the extra Jewish laws that are put on. The laws have consequences. You break just a, a little teeny, teeny tiny tiny bit, it's, it's broken. You get one chip on your windshield, and the windshield's broken. If you have to get your car sold, and you have to put it through a safety, uh, there can't be a chip in the windshield where the wipers go. One little chip, even though the windshield's there, a chip makes it incompatible and has to be replaced. Same thing. That's what the law does. However, the commands in the New Testament are for our benefit. So when Paul is speaking, even Jesus is giving commands. It's for our benefit, not to shame us. Look, do these things and it will go well for you and you'll save yourself a lot of headache. Oh, that's just law. No, it's not. Grace people jump on that one big time. It's like, stop it. Think about this a little more because uh, I think the commands are there to help us. If we need that, they're a tutor. And eventually, there won't be so much the focus on commands, but from the enjoyment of your relationship with Jesus on and on, and you grow in intimacy, and you don't need commands to guide you anymore. But for those that need it, fine. Use them for a time. That's what the 12-step program is. It's the front end, the baby steps, to get you into a place of healing, to experience healing. It's pretty cool. Um... What about the severity of God? I don't know what you mean, Karina. Huh. Um, are you talking about the wrath of God? I'm not sure. If you are, um, we have some things to dig into. What is the wrath of God? Um, because it is. It, it, let me just, I won't say it isn't. It may not be at all like what you and I have been taught. We need to rediscover what the word wrath means because in the Greek, the word wrath uh, is translated from the word orge, um, which is uh, um, the word orgasm comes out of that. Um, and the, the whole concept of the word wrath means, one, okay, one of the definitions of wrath is any deep, intense emotion, okay? So when the translators chose to use a word, uh, the word wrath and definitions, anger is on the list. But any deep, intense emotion. So what do you mean about the severity? Yeah, it's great. Um, Dan says, hey, Dan, good morning. Uh, I'm here to go to the cross to see forgiveness for all. Oh, my goodness, yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, I've got a great uh, message on um, a case for forgiveness. It's in that series I was just talking about. A message me, I'll send it to you. Um, it's a whole message on, we are completely, the world is completely forgiven already. Oh yeah. It's pretty cool. Okay. Karina says it, it says somewhere it's the goodness and severity of God that leads man to repentance. I, I'm not sure. I think I've done a study before, but I always forget everything. <laughs> Uh, looks looking more into deconstruction and wrath. Yep. Yeah. So it's the kindness of God, not sever severity is a, a bad translation. I think, uh, I think you're, it's misunderstood. Well, we should come back to that or relook it up in multiple translations. I've never seen severity uh, as a translated word there. That sounds, I think it's a misremembering. I, I'm not sure, but that's okay. Worth looking into, uh, but it's the kindness and goodness of God that I've seen that leads us to repentance. I forget what Brad said. It might have been in Romans. But I know there's Old Testament writings on, it's this kindness that leads us to repentance. Stick with what looks like love. 
If it does not look like agape, it is not God. That's an easy way to look at some of the the texts in Scripture, because some of them need to be unpacked better than what we've been told. We've grown up in a Sunday school world where we've been told what certain verses mean, and we trust the pastor, we trust the Sunday school teachers, who most of the Sunday school teachers, sorry, uh, they're like folks who have never studied. They're just following the curriculum, which was manufactured by a company and left to much interpretation. So honestly, um, we have to do much more relearning. And there's nothing wrong, wrong necessarily, although... I would never use some of the curriculum anymore these days. Um, but still, and I worked for a science school company. <laughs> um, but the point is, it's all subjective. And uh, somebody could say to me right now, well, you're being subjective in your opinion. Yeah, because I'm growing and learning. I'm just sharing so that if there are others also wondering and wanting to question, there's another voice also questioning. I'm one of those voices, and I know a whole choir of others that are joining me in this as well. I'm not anyone special. I'm just on the journey, and I won't do fake. And uh, I, I just want to be honest about all that I am learning. And I'm very happy to admit where I've been wrong and have to repackage a text uh, and rework it. So. Once in a while, I've been called out, and uh, I've been privately chastised, and uh, uh, um, and I value that. I don't value public ones. Don't do it. Uh, it's just not fair. It's a shaming tool. But privately being encouraged, hey, revisit this verse. And I've done some revisiting, and I've come to the conclusion I didn't agree with the way they saw it. I saw it a different way. I'll, I'll end with this. On Sunday, uh, let me see if I can pull this up real fast. On Sunday, I ended my sermon... Um, and by the way, you guys are welcome to join me on Sunday mornings or look back uh, on, on our Sunday morning. Um, I am doing a series called The More Beautiful Faith and dealing with deconstruction and, and really good uh, ways of rethinking. But I ended my message with a text from Jesus speaking to Peter. Yes. Hang on. Let me go to it. Give me one sec. So sorry. Yep. In Matthew 16. Um, in verse 13 to 17, now Jesus, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Hmm. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Oh my goodness, that's so exciting. I wonder if there was an animated version of that translation. But that's the key. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God who reveals and opens your mind to understanding. Not intellectual arguing. Not uh, having a slingshot fight with Bible verses. (laughs) That doesn't give any revelation. I love it. Um, Dan writes, Paul saw love beyond we can even imagine when we see this love, it melts away all those fears we have. Absolutely. Yes. To me, that's, that is the grace life. Mary. Oh my goodness, Mary. How are you, Mary? As my children grew, there is only one law up on the fridge. Be kind to one another. Yes. Law of love, which is written in the tablet of our hearts. It's pretty cool. 
Anyway, I really hope you enjoyed the conversation with uh, uh, Brad Jerzak today. Go back and listen to part one if you hadn't. And uh, next week, let me just sneak peek. I think I have next week's uh, themes kind of ready. Um, just to cheat. Here we go. Um, we've got uh, Richard Murray, Andre Rabe, and Richard Murray in the next couple of weeks. So we got a couple of sessions I'm going to share. And when I'm done those, then I'll move on. And uh, I've got a great conversation about prayer with Richard Murray. And then we'll get back to some stuff with uh, uh, Bill and Richard and others. If you if you know of people that uh, would be fun to interview and share here on Still Growing Grace, please let me know. And I'll reach out and I'll have a conversation on a particular topic that they're specialized in. I'm not specialized in every topic. I'm only going for the ones that I know and I love. And um, I'm, I'll invite somebody in who's more specialized in it. So uh, we, we need each other to learn. All nationalities, genders, people groups, um, yeah, so this is, we need to hear from all of us. So that's it. You guys have a really, really awesome day. And, uh, I look forward to joining with you next, uh, Wednesday morning, same time. And of course, uh, Sunday morning, if you want to join me, you're welcome to, uh, it's, it's a hope fellowship church. So it's not as intense as this. This is, I have a lot more freedom here because I'm speaking to a much wider audience, but, uh, hope fellowship, you're welcome to join into a small community that is growing in grace. Look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great week. Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.